once again. You know, I said to a few of you jokingly that uh, when I found out that we were not going to be serving the Lord's Supper this week, I, uh, I asked of my fellow elders if I could use that extra time for my sermon. And uh, rest assured, your elders in, in their wisdom and love for you swiftly declined that request. So I'll, I'll try to keep it brief today, although we do have a lot to cover. Uh, I'm excited to be starting a new sermon series with you. We're, we're going to be looking at the book of Job over the next several weeks. Last week, if you were here with us, Pastor Phil uh, preached from James chapter 5, where James um, tells us that we should endeavor to be like Job in our patience. But today, we're going to turn our attention to Job himself in the book that's written about him in the Old Testament. And if you've never done so, or haven't done so recently, I would really encourage you over the, the next couple of weeks to sit down and read through Job. Um, I've spent a lot of time in this book, and it's been a, a true blessing to do so, and I think you will be blessed as well um, as you do that and as we learn from Job and his life over the next month and a half. But this morning, we're going to Consider Job together, and the passage before us today opens the book and our series in Job chapter 1. So if you turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 1, I'll be reading the whole chapter this morning. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. This is God's holy and inerrant Word. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand." So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them 
and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And now that it's been read, I pray that the the words of my mouth and the thoughts and considerations of our heart as we look at your servant Job would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, Lord, and bring glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a story, huh? It's, it's really a story of epic proportions when you think about it. It starts out um, serene and peaceful. You can almost hear the author go, once upon a time, there was a man in the land of Uz. But very quickly, in the second scene, we move from this peaceful serenity to a a heavenly conversation between God and Satan himself, where we're given a front row seat. And then the chapter ends from there with disaster and mayhem breaking up, breaking out. You know, if this were a movie made in the year 2022, the budget would be like tens of millions of dollars to reenact such an epic tale. And at the center of it all is our main character, Job, a man whose life, let's just be honest, goes from one end of the spectrum to the other. See, at the beginning of the book, we see a man who is unrivaled in his blessing. There's, there's truly no one like him on the earth at this time. And by the end of the chapter, we see a man who is unrivaled in his suffering. It's an amazing story that God has given us. And we're not going to have time, unfortunately, to unpack every single thing in this chapter this morning, but I do want to consider a couple aspects of Job's life. You see, in the passage, God questions Satan and says, Have you considered my servant Job? And I'd like to imagine that this morning, God is inquiring of us, have we considered his servant Job? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to consider three things this morning about Job. We're going to consider Job's religion. We're going to consider Job's enemy. And finally, we're going to consider Job's God. So those are my three points in my sermon this morning. So we'll start by considering the man Job himself, and more specifically what I'm calling his religion. You see, we don't, 
actually have a lot of information about Job. Outside of the book of Job, he's only mentioned twice in all the Bible. In Ezekiel, he's mentioned along with Noah and Daniel in a prophecy when God is speaking to, to Ezekiel. And then we have the passage in James that we looked at last week. But aside from those two places, all we know about who Job was as a man comes to us in five verses in the book of Job. And we don't have a lot of detail. There's a lot of things we don't know. We don't know how old Job was. We don't know at what time he lived. We don't know the city that he lived in, in the land of Uz. We don't know his wife's name, his kids' names. We don't know what he did for a living or how he accumulated so much wealth. We don't even know who the author of the book of Job is. But the few things that we do know, the few things that the author has shared with us, become that much more important. And I think that's the point. You see, with, with the lack of tons of detail, the detail that is provided to us is magnified. And if we want to understand the book of Job, we need to understand who this man was, and especially what he was all about. And the main thing we are to see when we consider Job is that Job feared God. And that's what I'm calling his religion. He feared God. He had a lifestyle of fearing the Lord. And we see this in the text this morning in two ways. We see this by the testimony given about Job, and we also see this evidenced in his life. So right in verse 2, right off the bat, we're told by the author that Job is blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. It's one of the first things that we learn about this man. It should get our attention right away. And this is a statement that's made about Job verbatim twice more in the book. We've read it again in verse 8, and we'll hear it again next week in chapter 2. And you'll notice who's speaking this in those second and third instances. It's not the author. It's God himself. God testifies that Job is a blameless and upright man, one who fears the Lord and turns away from evil. This is a, this is a big deal. It, it carries a lot of weight that God himself would say this about Job. And so what, what does it mean? What, what does it mean that, God, or that Job fears the Lord, that he fears God? I'll put it to you this way. Fearing God means that Job orders his life in obedience to the Lord. Um, he, he orders his life in worship and obedience to the Lord. He, he puts God on top. And we see this from the testimony from the author and from God himself. But we also see this evidenced in the way that Job lived his life. Again, we don't have a lot of detail about what Job did. We only have a few short verses. But look what we are told. Job, as the patriarch of his family, and this was probably before God's covenant with Abraham, and it was most definitely before the institution of the sacrificial system and the priesthood, Job is seen offering sacrifices for the sins, or potential sins, rather, of his children. If I could paraphrase Job this morning, he says something like this, I don't know my kids' hearts, but I do know that we're to fear the Lord and that God hates sin. And the only way that we can be right with God is for our sin to be paid for. 
and so he offers sacrifices on behalf of his children. This is a picture of a man who has a healthy, heavenly, godly fear of the Lord. We're told he turns away from evil himself, and we see that he offers atoning sacrifices for his children. And pay attention to the context here. This is before any suffering has entered Job's life. He's in a time of abundant blessing. He has very many possessions. He's the greatest of all the people of the East. And here he is showing his fear of the Lord by offering sacrifices for his kids. We also see his fear of the Lord evidenced in his life when suffering does come. And we're going to talk specifically about his suffering in a moment. But at the end of the chapter, after tremendous catastrophe, a tremendous amount of suffering, Job's response is worship. He tears his robe, he shaves his head, he falls to his knees, and he worships. That's what we're told. Job doesn't angrily point a finger at God for what has happened to him. He worships. He fears the Lord. And so we see that Job has a lifestyle. His whole life is bound up in his religion of fearing God. He's ordered his life in obedience and worship to the Lord. So as we consider Job this morning, and more specifically his religion, what does that mean for us? I think it means, at the very least, that we are made to fear God. We're made to fear God. We should have a lifestyle, like Job, that fears the Lord, where we are ordering our lives in worship and obedience to Him. And so my question to you is, do you live your life in such a way that you're fearing God above all else? Do you make decisions for your life, for your family, for how you spend your time, for what you do for your work? Do you do these things with God in mind? Is your priority to maximize your worship and obedience to Him over everything, over money, over comfort, over ease? This is what it means to fear the Lord, friends, and we see that lived out in Job's life. But I also want to quickly point out another aspect of Job's religion, and that is his fearful obedience to the Lord leads to blessing. We, we think of Job and we immediately think of suffering. We know that Job suffered and he suffered greatly. We saw it in the passage this morning. But don't neglect the fact that Job is abundantly blessed. And this is important, I think, to understanding the book of Job because it makes the suffering that much more jarring. It makes it hard for us to comprehend, to wrap our minds around. How did a man fall so far from blessing? See, he's abundantly blessed. Even Satan, when he's standing before the Lord, calls us out. Satan speaks truth here. God has blessed Job and increased all his possessions, and Satan points this out. And so we see that his obedience and fear of God came with blessing. And that means that we should expect the same in our lives. If we're obedient, and when we order our lives in worship, in obedience to the Lord, we should expect blessing. I want to briefly share with you about another man this morning who lived a life that feared the Lord, a man who, like Job, experienced much blessing and also tremendous amounts of suffering in his life. 
His name was John Patton. He was a a missionary to the New Hebrides, which are a small set of islands in the South Pacific outside of Australia. John Patton was born in 1824 and served as a missionary to the small island chain. And growing up in Scotland, he felt a call to ministry at a young age, and he became a very successful pastor. He actually revitalized a large congregation in Glasgow. And during that time when he was a pastor there, he considered the Lord's call for him to take up this missionary work to these islands of natives who didn't speak English, who practiced cannibalism, and had never heard the gospel before. In fact, there had been two missionaries that had previously visited the islands. Both of them were clubbed to death within, within 15 minutes of landing on the beach. Their bodies cooked and eaten in front of the ship that dropped them off. And so Patton's friends maybe obviously urged him to not do this, that he should stay in Scotland and continue the work that God was blessing at the church. And Patton in his autobiography wrote this, Amongst many who sought to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument always was, The cannibals! You will be eaten by cannibals! At last I replied, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in your years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. It's amazing. John Patton was experiencing much blessing in his life and at his call as a preacher in Scotland. Yet his fear of the Lord enabled him, and I would argue that it persuaded him to take up this most difficult and dangerous missionary work for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And I pray that we would likewise count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. So we've considered Job's religion, that he's a man who has a lifestyle of fearing God, and that often brings about blessing. But we also see in our passage that fearing God doesn't guarantee blessing. And in fact, if we look closely, it's Job's fear of God that brings about the suffering in his life. Did you see that? See, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth? And what's Satan's response? Does Job fear God for no reason? You see, the, fearing, the fear of God that Job had is the very thing that brought about God's attention and blessing, but it equally and also brought about suffering from the hands of the enemy. Which takes us to my second point this morning, which is considering Job's enemy. If the beginning of the book started off a little slow, then what happens in the second act after the commercial break is, is quite the opposite. Through the author's divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit, we are given a glimpse into the heavenly places. Like I said before, we have a front row seat to a conversation between God and Satan. And what we see is a train of the sons of God, and I take that to mean all the angelic beings, presenting themselves before the Lord. And, and when I envision this in my head, I see God sitting on his throne and these sons of God, one by one, getting before the Lord and bowing 
in his presence and giving a report to him. It's almost like knights appearing before a king, or in in our modern terms, cabinet members appearing before the president and giving a report for what they're responsible for. And this includes Satan. See, Satan has to give a report to the Lord. And we find out when God questions Satan, from where have you come? And Satan's response is from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. We see that Satan's um, job or his, his report is that the earth is his domain, fallen creation. See, he prowls and he looks to undermine God at every single opportunity. He's looking for little toeholds into the lives of God's people. He's wanting to turn us away from God, to undermine God's authority in our lives, to undermine his glory. He's trying to reorder our priorities of worship and obedience. He's trying to remove the fear of the Lord from us. And how do we see this in our text? Well, look how God responds to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. He's blameless and upright. He fears the Lord. He turns away from evil. There's no one like him in all the earth. And obviously I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, And Satan's response is, yeah, I I thought of Job. But you're protecting him and you're blessing him. There are no toeholds for me there. Why, Why would I waste my time? I can't do anything. But God, if you remove your blessing from him, I bet, nay, I guarantee he will curse you to your face. Just let me have an opportunity. This is sobering, friends. We have an enemy that we can't see who is actively working against us, looking for opportunities in our lives to separate us from God, to create discord, to create distance, to create strife in our lives, that we would stumble, that we would fall, that we'd be tempted that we would turn away from the Lord, that we would curse God. And that's Satan's chief end, isn't it? That that Job would curse God? It's the opposite of fearing God. It's cursing. You know, we've seen this kind of thing in the Scriptures before. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, in the Garden we see that God had blessed Adam and Eve He put them in a garden paradise. He protected them. He gave them everything they needed. He blessed them. And then Satan comes into the picture to undermine the Lord and his authority. Did God really say? Let me just drive a little wedge here. Let me add a little doubt. Let me me make you think just for a second that God doesn't quite love you like he says that he does, that he's withholding something from you. What happens with Job? There's none like him, God says, on all the earth. He's been blessed. God has put a hedge around him. Think about that. This is garden imagery here. He's put a hedge around Job and all that he has. And Satan, just like in the garden, takes the opportunity that he's been given by the Lord sovereignly to sow seeds of division in Job's life. 
and take away the blessing and bring about tremendous suffering. See, his goal is to make Job question, does God really love me? Is he even there? Is he good? It's easy, right, when things are going well. We can all relate to Job. When life's going well and we feel like God loves us and he's blessing us, we're experiencing his grace in our lives, we feel energized, we're excited, we're willing to sacrifice and work hard for the kingdom. We're ready to do his work. But as soon as trials come, as soon as suffering comes into the picture, it's a little bit harder, isn't it? We begin to doubt. What are you doing, God? Why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? How long, God, is this going to last? When's it going to end? See, these are doubts that creep into our minds, and this is exactly what the enemy wants. This is what he's angling for. You see, we need to not be surprised, friends. We have a real enemy who is really against us. And because that's the case, and because we live in a fallen world and we're sinners and things don't work the way that they're supposed to work, suffering will come. We see it in Job's life, and you probably have experienced it in your own life as well. And in the case of Job, it's tremendous suffering. And I can't preach on Job chapter 1 and at least not take one minute to consider just the amount of suffering that Job experiences. And we're going to see even more next week in chapter 2. But what do we see in our chapter, in chapter 1? Job gets hit from all sides, right? Bam, 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 bam. Evil at the hands of human beings. The Sabians, right, they appear. There goes all the cattle. There goes all the donkeys and the servants gone. And before that guy's even done giving Job the headline, before he's done reading the tweet, the next one comes on the Twitter feed. Natural disaster. Fire rains down from heaven. And there go the sheep and the shepherds. And if that wasn't enough, here comes a third one. Human evil, yet again, the Chaldeans, they organize a raid. And they take off with all the camels. And then worst of all, a tornado or a derecho, whatever, whatever that is, <laughs> comes across the land, natural disaster, and strikes the house that Job's kids are in, celebrating as they often do. And the house collapses and they all die. Job has lost all his wealth. He's lost all his possessions. And he's lost all his kids gone, just like that, in one day. Friends, this is complete and utter destruction. And Job didn't do anything to bring any of this upon himself. This is suffering. John Patton experienced some very difficult suffering in his life as well. Being undeterred by his friends To stay in Scotland, he made the six-month voyage with his wife, Mary, to begin his missionary work in the New Hebrides, and a few months after arriving, they welcomed their firstborn son. However, tragedy struck just days later when Mary contracted a tropical fever and never recovered. 
In a moment altogether unexpected, she died, he would write. To crown my sorrows and complete my loneliness, the dear baby boy was taken from me after one week's sickness. Let those who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight feel for me. As for all others, it would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows. John, while struggling with fever himself and fending off the native cannibals, was left to bury his dead with his own hands. He would say this, Stunned by that dreadful loss, in entering upon this field of labor to which the Lord had himself so evidently led me, my reason seemed for a time to almost give way. But I was never altogether forsaken. The ever-merciful Lord sustained me to lay the precious dust of my beloved ones in the same quiet grave dug for them close by at the end of the house in which my own hands, despite breaking heart, had to take the principal share. This This is suffering, friends. So let me ask you, are you prepared to respond to suffering? Do you know what your response should be? We're considering Job's enemy, Satan, and that he's real and that suffering our life is coming if it hasn't already arrived. And I'm saying this to you, friends, that what is true for Job is also true for you. Satan is just as much your enemy as he was Job's. And although you might not lose all your possessions and all your children in the span of one day, you might not have to bury your own dead and fend off the cannibals from digging up the bodies like John Patton, that doesn't mean that any suffering you experience is any less tragic. So what should our response be? How do we respond in the face of suffering? What did Job do? He worshipped. Our response should be worship and tears. Even in the midst of our tears and sorrow, we need to continue to fear the Lord. And this is not easy. Job fell to his knees. He tore his robe. He shaved his head and he worshipped. You see, God did not make the world for suffering, but even as it exists, he is still in control over it. And our suffering can only make sense when we consider who our God is. And so that brings us to my last point this morning, which is considering Job's God. We see in our passage not just who Job is and also not just who Satan is as Job's enemy, but ultimately and most importantly, we see who Job's God is, who our God is. That he's sovereign over everything, including evil, including Satan. So just briefly here, friends, where does Satan appear? He appears in the presence of the Lord. This is Satan reporting to God. Martin Luther, when he often wrote about Satan, he would refer to him as God's Satan. And that's not to say that God and Satan are one and the same, or that God is the author of evil. But just as an opponent of the king might show up in the king's court as an adversary, and that king uses that adversary under his domain and within his rule to accomplish his purposes, so this is true with God and our enemy. And we see that that's what God does. See, God, God holds out Job. Have you considered my servant Job? 
And then when Satan challenges him, God puts limits on what Satan is able to do. He says, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. See, God puts limits in. He has ultimate control and authority, sovereign authority over Satan. See, everything that happens to Job in our passage this morning, all the suffering, all the catastrophe, God used. He's so supremely good and powerful and omniscient and all-wise that he's able to use all of those things. And we don't see it directly in our passage. It's going to take chapters to see that tree bear fruit in Job's life. But we do get a little glimpse, just a little glimpse, in Job's response in his suffering. What does he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we're told that in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And so we see that God is sustaining Job, even in the midst of all the suffering, using this evil in only a way that he can. In the Apostle Peter's first letter, he wrote this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, I think that just maybe Peter had Job in mind when he wrote that. By God's grace, we're blessed with the benefit of having this book, of having the story of Job that we can learn from and read today and understand. Friends, Job didn't know that God and Satan had a conversation about him. We know, as the readers, that all this catastrophe, all this evil was at the hand of Satan. Job didn't know that. In fact, he goes the entire book, his entire life, without ever finding out what had happened or how it came to be. So there might be suffering in our lives, friends, as well, that we don't understand. We don't know why. And yet, we can still trust. We can trust God. Because the God that we fear, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, of heaven and earth, He loves us. Because He didn't even withhold His Son, His very own Son, for us. We know from Romans that for those who love God, and I would be so bold as to add here, who fear God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And that even and includes and especially includes bad things, suffering. We don't understand it all the time. We're not God. We don't have his perspective. We're the creature. He's the creator, but he's sovereign and we can trust him. And you know why that we can trust him, friends? Because he sent his son, Jesus. See, Job, although he didn't do anything to bring about the suffering directly, he wasn't perfect. He was a sinner. We know that everyone is a sinner. John Piper says that our worst suffering is far better than what we actually deserve in this life because we are sinners and we stand condemned before a holy and just God. But God himself sent his son Jesus, who was perfect, who never sinned, 
If Job was blameless and upright and feared the Lord and turned away from evil, how much more is that true of Jesus? Without a spot, the Bible tells us, without blemish, Jesus was led to the slaughter, suffered, died, and was buried because your sin and my sin was placed on him. He paid the price for it. The evil that was done to Jesus on the cross was not just the work of Satan, friends. It was the work of your sin and my sin. And our God, Jesus Christ, being obedient to the Father, even to death on a cross, died for you and for me. So we can trust, friends, even in the midst of suffering. We can trust that our Heavenly Father loves us. And we'll use everything in our lives, including our suffering and our sin, to accomplish his purposes and to bring glory to his name. You know who knew this well? John Patton. You want to know how things ended for him? By the end of his life, he would see the establishment of missionaries on 25 of the 30 islands in the New Hebrides. He would see the New Testament translated into the native language of the islanders, and the entire island of Aniwa, which is the largest of all the islands, profess, profess faith in Christ. When looking back on his time in the missionary field, he penned this, Oftentimes, while passing through the perils and defeats of my first years in the mission field, I wondered, and perhaps the reader hereof has wondered, why God permitted such things. But on looking back now, I already clearly perceive that the Lord was thereby preparing me for doing the best work of all my life, the kindling of the heart of the Australian people with a living affection for these islanders of their own southern seas, and in being the instrument under God of sending out missionary after missionary to the New Hebrides to claim one island and still another for Jesus. That work and all that may spring from it in time and eternity, never could have been accomplished by me, but first for the sufferings and then the story of my Tana enterprise. John Patton suffered much in his 43 years in New Hebrides, where he buried his wife and child, endured grave illnesses, shipwreck, the betrayal of friends and some converts, and grief over martyred co-workers. On the other hand, he lived to see Christ transform an entire culture and to witness hundreds of missionaries follow behind him. Like Job, he was a man who feared God, even in the face of evil and suffering. And God ultimately blessed him and used him to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Friends, we've considered Job this morning, his religion, his enemy, and his God. There's a lot more that can be said and much more that we can learn from God's servant. And I pray that the Lord would help us to continue to fear him like Job, even today in the midst of blessing and even more so in the midst of suffering. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your servant Job, for the witness that he has, for the example that he gives us, Lord, of a man who fears you, who's ordered his life in obedience and worship to you. And I thank you even more, Father, for your son Jesus, who did this perfectly, who suffered, bled, and died on a cross for us, for all the ways that we have failed to fear you, Lord, in our lives. 
And I pray, God, that we would continue to learn, to grow, to become more like him, Lord, that we would bring you more and more glory in our lives as we fear you, as we trust you, and as we suffer well, even if we're called to do that. Thank you, God, for your word, and thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the church house located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.